Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to my YouTube channel. My name is John Campia, and this is a companion video. What are companion videos? Well, I'm awfully glad that you asked. See, every day on the John Campia Show, we take the second half of the show to take your live comments and questions. The way you send in those live comments and questions is by going down to the description of this video, and you'll see a tip link there. You can just click on it, or you could enter it in manually at www.streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. Once you do that, you'll be getting your comment or question on the show, if your comment or question is appropriate to use in one of our shows or a companion video. And of course, you're supporting the channel at the same time. Now, again, every Today on the John Campbell Show, we take these questions. However, we normally don't have enough time to get through all the live comments and questions that get sent in. But if you supported the channel and you sent in those questions, I don't want to make you wait too awful long to hear them get answered. So we gather them up and we address them here on companion videos. So let's not waste any time and jump right into it, shall we? We're going to start getting caught up with a question that comes in from Jay Bling, who writes... I've also come around on Rob's MonsterVerse slash Pacific Rim crossover idea, but I think it should be done last, as I feel uh, like you uh, would do a crossover when there's nothing else left. And how else would you explain the Titan's absence in the Pacific Rim universe? Uh, well, I mean, look, the reality is if you go ahead and do a Pacific Rim and Godzilla Kong MonsterVerse crossover thing, no one's looking for tight consistency. No one's looking for canon, right? You could just do it and do it. You can just say Godzilla appeared dormant. You, he literally, you could say Godzilla appeared um, and he hasn't been seen from in a hundred years. You could say that if you wanted to in the Pacific Rim universe, right? I don't know if it has to be a last resort. Like, honestly, while they've already said they're doing more MonsterVerse movies, and I'm looking forward to them doing more MonsterVerse movies. I honestly don't know what much else there is to do. I mean, you can name whatever monster you want that they haven't used yet. But at the end of the day, it's the same thing. Oh, no. Humanity needs Godzilla to stop now this monster. You know, so I, I don't know how much more there is to do anyway. Although, don't get me wrong. The moment they do the next MonsterVerse movie, I'm there too. I'm just saying you're probably running out of compelling things to do. So... Why not? I mean, I never used to be for the Pacific Rim crossover idea, but I've come around to it as well. And I don't think consistency is going to be one of the big problems. But who knows? We'll see, Jay Bling. All right, next up. Baylor Girl writes, John, it's a fact. Breakdancing, yes, it will. Breakdancing will be a new Olympic event in the Paris 2024 Summer Olympics. Should we look forward to seeing your moves as you represent Canada in 2024? Oh, my no. No, no, no. There are... There are a couple of VHS tapes. For those of you who don't know, when I was a kid, uh, I was a breakdancer. So much so, you could even say I was a professional breakdancer. If you define professional, as in you actually get paid to do it. We, Me and my little crew, the Zodiac crew, uh, we actually got paid to dance at a couple of events, like city events and at malls and at, we like opening acts at concerts and things like that. And uh, yeah, I know it's, it is very, very, very hard to believe. This guy was a break dancer. It's true. Mm. Now there are at least one there, but I think two VHS tapes that have my break dancing on it. But, much like the Ark of the Covenant at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark, they have been sealed away into a box 
and tucked away, and they are in storage somewhere at the Campia Ranch up in Canada. So, uh, and they will never, ever see the light of day. Never. Anyway, uh, all right. Next up, thanks for asking, Baylor girl. Uh, I still can't believe they're making breakdancing an Olympic competition. Anyway, uh, Peter Cunnington writes, I think another reason you didn't mention why Suicide Squad bombed is unlike Marvel, there's no urgency to see the movies right away. You can just wait a few weeks or a month. If you miss one, if you miss one Marvel movie or one show, you're totally out of the loop. That's com- completely not true. That's That's completely not true. One of the most brilliant things about the um, Marvel Cinematic Universe that Kevin Feige has implemented and that he really made as one of their cornerstones of success. One of the reasons the MCU is as big as it is is because Kevin Feige has made sure that everything that's ever been made in Marvel, anybody, any potential audience member can jump in at any time and not feel like they're lost. Like there are people, I mean, I, I was, I've told you, I had a friend of mine who literally watched Endgame as the first MCU movie they've ever watched. And they felt like they were just able to pick it, follow it. No problem. Now, were they able to pick up on every little nuance and stuff like that? But no, but Kevin Feige makes sure these movies are done in such a way that the door is always open to new audiences coming in. And that's been the key to their success in over 10 years. Otherwise, after five movies, you'd be like, oh, there's no point in jumping in now. But the reality is every single movie presents an opportunity for a brand new audience member to come on board and not feel lost. And again, the the ultimate example of that is, a, again, a friend of mine coming in and watching Endgame. So I, I reject that idea. I, I don't think that's valid. Like, you could come in and watch, if you didn't watch WandaVision, were you in the dark watching Falcon and the Winter Soldier? Were you in the dark watching Black Widow? Were you in the dark watching Loki? No. If you had missed WandaVision, you could still watch any of those three things and you would have been perfectly fine. Perfectly fine. So I don't, I honestly don't think that's one of the contributing factors. I really don't. Because I think that's been one of the strengths uh, of the MCU up until this point. I think that's been really one of the strengths. All right, let's move on here. Next up, we got Barley Bunny who writes, Hey, John. In terms of HBO's day and date releases, are they even able to change that for movies like Dune since they've already marketed it as an incentive for subscribing? And if they did, could they have a class action suit filed for breach of contract? No. Uh, in, in the, in the um, user agreement of just about every one of these services is written in them that the programming is subject to change. Always is. Because you can say, well, I signed up to Netflix to watch, you know, Stacy Kisses Eddie, the movie. I'm just making it up, right? Well, you know what it's like on Netflix. Movies don't stay on there forever. It's there, and then it's gone. Netflix every month has a whole bunch of movies leaving, a whole bunch of movies coming, right? So you could say, well, I signed up to Netflix so I can watch, I forget the girl's name already, Susie Kisses Eddie. I'm making it up. And now it's gone. I'm going to sue. Nope. You got, you don't have a leg to stand on, uh, within every user agreement, uh, on these things is that the, that the programming is subject to change and programming can be there one day and gone the next. Like, I can't remember which movie it was. Now you guys will have to remind me in the comment section, but when HBO max launched, 
Like they had a couple of movies that they were promoting big, like, Ooh, this is coming to HBO. This is going to be HBO max. And they launched. And then those movies were only on HBO max for like two weeks. And then they were gone. Right. So, uh, no, plus, even if you wanted to sue, you would have to show a court that you have actually suffered damages. And what did you suffer in damages? The $15 you paid for a month of subscription. Uh, yeah. So, but anyway, the bottom line is there is a, a term in there about that. The programming lineup of these networks is always subject to change. So no, they would not be subject to a class action lawsuit, at least not one that would be successful. Uh, all right. Next up. An anonymous viewer writes squad, a great movie. I assume you mean suicide squad, uh, a great movie with an odd tone and unknown characters. Uh, it bombed. Wonder Woman 84, a mediocre movie with a normal tone and a very recognizable character, also bombed. Is it fair to say that another problem here is DC itself on a broader level than HBO Max? No. No. Because there's two things there. Number one, we just went through a list of nine reasons. Now, remember, before the movie came out, I had already seen it, and I said on this show, Suicide Squad's going to struggle at the box office. And I already knew it was fantastic. But before it came out, I said it's going to really struggle at the box office because of this, 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 and this. And then after its opening weekend, we sat down, we gave a list of nine reasons, right? Wonder Woman 84 is a very different thing. I mean, that was around Christmas time. That Everything was still in lockdown. You can't really count that at all. But the big thing here is this. Nobody gives a shit if it's DC or... You got to understand... 98% of the movie going audience don't give two squirts of you and two squirts of urine, I should say, about which corporate label is on the movie. They don't care. When they're going to go see a Batman movie, if they're excited about Batman, they're not excited because it's DC. No, they're excited about going to see a Batman movie. They don't care. See, some people in our circles care about which corporate label is on the movie. The vast majority of the audience does not care. They just don't care. So the Wonder Woman 84 thing, you can't use that as an example. You just can't. Because if you if you if you wanted to say that's like, okay, we'll explain Aquaman making a billion dollars at the box office. Explain Joker making a billion dollars at the box office. You can't say that the problem and the reason why Wonder Woman 84, which opened in the prime time of when everything was locked down. Or James Gunn's The Suicide Squad with all the nine reasons that we listed. You can't say, oh, well, then that shows that people just don't want to see DC movies. Aquaman made a billion dollars. Wonder Woman made around the $800 million mark. Joker made a billion dollars. So, no, it, it has nothing to do. And again, 98% of the people who go to movies, the average moviegoer, just don't care about whether the Marvel label is on it or whether the DC label's on it. They just really don't care. I would even venture to say probably like 50% of the movie-going audience couldn't even tell you which. Like if you said to them, Black Panther, are they, you know, is or if you said Namor, is Namor a Marvel or a DC character? They couldn't even tell you the answer to that because they don't care. They don't care. Honestly, we really shouldn't care as much either as far as it comes to the movies, but, you know, it is what it is. All right, thanks for writing in your thoughts there, man. All right, next up. Uh, Barley Bunny writes, howdy, John. 
Did you see Gunn thanked David Ayer in the special thanks section of the Suicide Squad credits? Yes, I did. Uh, classy move. Anyway, I uh, want to go watch Free Guy with me this weekend. Uh, I'll buy the drinks and butter delivery devices. I just need you to fly out to Columbus, Ohio. Well, I am going to go see it again tomorrow, so I'm, I'm already covered. Um, but uh, you know what? It's probably, I think, the studio... You know, the director doesn't sit down and write out all 8,000 lines of the credits. Now, maybe James Gunn t- had David Ayer's name put in. Maybe I, I kind of think it was the studio. But James Gunn has talked publicly about when he was getting ready to make the movie, he actually had conversations with David Ayer. He was actually in co- communication with David Ayer. And uh, David has said very great things about James and, and his version of the movie and it's all been really good. It's all been really good. But yes, I did the first time I saw <clears throat> uh, Suicide Squad because I was sitting around waiting for the end credits. You notice, I think it's one of the first names, if not the very first name under the the filmmakers would like to thank. And David Ayer was like the first name there. And, and that was classy. Whether it was James that had to put in or whether it was the studio that had to put in, whichever way, it was a classy move. All right. Thanks for that. Next up, A.V. Cali writes, hey, John. All the Star Wars, of all the Star Wars films, Rogue One is my absolute favorite. It came on yesterday on TBS, dropped what I was doing, and started watching it. I don't really care much of episodes 7, 8, and 9, but man, there's just something about Rogue One I sincerely enjoy. Yeah, listen, I think Rogue One is the second best Star Wars movie outside of the original trilogy. Like to me, the original trilogy, they're, they're all time films. They're all time films, like greatest movies ever kind of thing. Um, and then I think the next, after the original trilogy, I think is the force awakens. I know a lot of people have different opinions of that, but I just remember me and John Schnepp would go and watch it every once in a while. Cause we would, cause our studios right across the street from the AMC Burbank 16. And when we would have a couple hours to kill before like uh, the next video we'd be shooting or whatever, you're like, want to go watch The Force Awakens? Yeah. And we would just walk across the street and go watch Force Awakens. And we liked it more and more every time we saw it. Uh, so it is my favorite Star Wars movie outside of the original trilogy. trilogy. But I'll tell you what, very, very close second to that is Rogue One. I love that movie. That movie's absolutely fantastic. It, it was a very different kind of Star Wars movie, but it was still very in its DNA Star Wars. And I absolutely loved it too. I'm glad you did as well. All right, next up. Uh, Brian Bledsoe just sends in a super chat badge to be supportive. Thank you, Brian. Appreciate that, man. Uh, next up, I'm an anonymous viewer writes. I heard this dumb take from a certain someone on YouTube saying Disney is quote unquote sacrificing Shang-Chi on September 3rd theaters only just to prove to Scarlett Johansson that if it wasn't day and date, Black Widow would have made much less. Uh, She says they want Shang-Chi to fail. Okay. I have no idea who you're talking about. For all I know, you're talking about Harloff. Well, probably is, it will be Harloff and I'm going to get in trouble here. I'm going to get angry texts from Harloff here. So I have no idea who you're talking about. For all I know, you're talking about Dennis for, although Dennis isn't really a YouTuber. Uh, for all I know, you're talking about Harloff. For all I know, you're talking about Jeremy. I have no idea. All right. So I've not heard anybody say this. Uh, so understanding this might very well be one of my friends I'm talking about. I, I will say this, the concept, let me start again. You need to be a very special kind of stupid to believe that Disney is sacrificing Shang-Chi in order to stick it to Scarlett Johansson. 
because you'd be ignoring two very big things. Uh, Thing number one, you'd have to ignore. Go all the way back to the Disney investors call, that big, huge event where they announced all the Marvel projects and all the Star Wars projects. Remember that? They they streamed it and we, we did the live coverage of it and all that kind of stuff. All the way back then, they said Shang-Chi was a theatrical exclusive movie. They said that ages ago. So listen, I you could make an argument if they always said Shang-Chi was going to be Disney Plus Premium and theaters. And then the day after Scarlett Johansson announced they announced her lawsuit, the day after that. Disney then changed Shang-Chi from being Disney Plus premium to only theaters. If that had happened, it still really wouldn't mean anything, but you would at least have an argument to make. You would at least have an argument to make. So number one reason why you'd have to be a very special kind of stupid. And again, I'm so terrified you're talking about Harloff or something. I'm going to get this angry phone call from him. Um, Number one, the first reason why you'd have to be a pretty special kind of stupid is because they've always said long before the lawsuit came up or anything that this was going to be a theatrical only release. They said that ages ago. The second reason you'd have to be a very special kind of stupid to believe that they're purposefully sacrificing Shang-Chi just to stick it to ScarJo is because of this little word called math. So you're saying that this company is willing to sacrifice, I don't know, $100 million in losses, $150 million in losses for the express purpose of trying to get out of paying Scarlett Johansson $50 million? So just make make sure I get the math right here. So you're saying... It's a good and wise move and investment financially to sacrifice $100 million in order to save $50 million. Is that is that what's being proposed here? Yeah, you got to be a special kind of stupid to believe that. No. The fact of the matter is that they announced ages ago that Shang-Chi was going to be a theatrical exclusive film, and they never changed that. And number two, you'd have, I mean, you got to believe in some tinfoil hat, the star chamber kind of bullshit to believe that they would sacrifice that because number the, the shareholders of Disney would never accept that. The board of Disney would never accept that. That would never be allowed to happen. So no, they are go. They tried one certain thing with black widow and they're doing differently with eternals and with, uh, uh, uh with Shang-Chi and they're doing it differently. So no. And again, if, if you're quoting Christian, I'm sorry, Christian. I didn't know it was you. Uh, if you're quoting somebody else I know who is a friend of mine, maybe Anonymous is trying to set me up to say something bad about a friend of mine. But uh, I would say no. That is an utterly preposterous proposition. Utterly preposterous. Anyway, uh, let's move on here. Um, Anonymous also, oh, there was a two of two. Did that say one of one? No, it didn't. Okay, two of two. Remember, if you're putting in a two-parter, guys, make sure you put one of two and then two of two. Anyway, uh, why in God's name would Disney sacrifice a 200 plus million dollar film uh, theaters only to prove a point to ScarJo to prove theaters can't cut it right now? Uh, how would that help in the lawsuit when Disney still breached their contract? A fucking idiotic opinion. I mean, look, it, uh, you you. I'm not going to add to that. I already said what I'm going to say about it. So yeah, there you go. All right, next up. And Anonymous, you're also right. 
I just watched Suicide Squad and enjoyed it. It seems that a large consensus really liked this movie in comparison to the previous film and Birds of Prey. I've still, I've seen all three and I liked all of them and think they're similar. Why is Gunn's films considered better? Because it's better. It's, it's just a better film. The There was more character depth in, um, there was far more attention to character and character depth in this. Every single one of these characters had emotional anchors that led to the motivation to them as characters. In the other films, it's very, it's very thin, very thin. But like, just use Ratcatcher as an example, right? Ratcatcher, as you learn more about her father and her father's struggles, and then finally near the climax of the film, as she does that flashback again, and she's remembering that time with her father on the rooftop saying, you know, rats are the smallest, most despised of all the creatures, but even they have purpose, as do we all. And then it cuts to her with tears in her eyes, not realizing what the rat's purposes were, but what her purpose was. I mean, King Shark looking through, without even any dialogue, looking through the window of the van, seeing a couple being affectionate to each other out on the streets. And without any dialogue, we see into the soul of that character what the yearnings and desires of that character of King Shark are. We're talking about King Shark. We're talking about the depth of emotion, stuff like that. It was just the action was on a completely different level, much, much bigger, better level. I mean, all these things. Now, again, at the end of the day, Anonymous, all film is subjective. And I'm just telling you why people like me consider this iteration of Suicide Squad much better than uh, Birds of Prey and better than the previous. I, and by the way, I like David Ayer's Suicide Squad. Just throwing that. I like that movie. But uh, that's why I think it's a significantly superior film than the others. You may feel differently and your opinion is no more or less valid than mine. If the, your experience with them was that the other two was just as good, good on you. But you ask me why I consider it better. That's why I consider it better. So anyway, thanks for uh, sending that in, man. And I'm glad you enjoyed those films, dude. All right, next up. U.S. Colonial Marine writes, one of two. Hey, John and gang. Wondering if you've ever heard or watched the young lady Grace Randolph uh, with the YouTube channel Beyond the Trailer. If so, what are the chances of a collaboration guest star appearance? I feel like I'm being trolled. Okay, uh, guys, what are the chances of Netflix 2 of 2? Okay, guys. Okay, so obviously those being a troll. Uh, what are the chances of Netflix, The Dark Crystal, making its glorious and triumphant return back to our screens, to either Netflix or being picked up by Disney or HBO Max, et cetera. If so, what do you think will change or ETI to hit us again? We're not going to see it again. I mean, if we ever do see um, a Dark Crystal again, it would be a, a new iteration all over again. You know, what sucks is that Dark Crystal that they put on Netflix, I had some doubts. It's fantastic. It, it just, it, to me, it recaptured the magic of the original Dark Crystal. They, they intermingled CGI with practical puppeteering in a beautiful way. They, they maintained practical puppets where they could. They dashed in CGI where they needed to, and it was a beautiful mix. The show was fantastic. And I, I have never been upset at Netflix canceling a show until they canceled, um, the Dark Crystal, uh, Age of Resistance, I think is the, the full title of it, until they canceled that show. 
I was upset. No, I get it. If if they weren't getting the numbers, if they didn't see new subscriptions happening as a result of it, and they weren't seeing viewership number or at least enough viewership numbers on it to, to justify the expense, to a degree, I get it. But I'll tell you what, when they canceled it, I really did think there was a chance that Disney would pick it up. It seemed like a good fit for Disney, especially when you consider the you know the the long standing collaboration between uh, Henson and Disney, between the Henson Company and Disney. So I just thought it would be a very natural landing spot. But the more time has passed, the less and less likely that seems. So I am very sadly going to say I don't think we're going to see it picked up. <clears throat> I hope it does. Fingers crossed. I don't think it will, though. So here's hoping we're wrong. All right, next up. Uh, Timothy writes, You haven't been talking much about the move, the upcoming movie Aretha, uh, so I have a feeling uh, that means you must not be too interested. No, that's not. We have mentioned uh, the Aretha, Aretha Franklin movie. I believe it's called Respect. Is that what it's called? Anyway, I've mentioned it a couple times. I'm looking forward to it. Actually, it's funny. Ann and I, which movie did we just see in the theater the other night? We were just watching... What did we go see? Now I can't remember which movie we went to go see. Anyway, Anne and I were just in the theaters, and one of the trailers that came on, um, it was Suicide Squad. That's right. It was Anne's first first viewing of Suicide Squad. So one of the trailers that came on was the trailer for Respect, and I like I specifically turned his and I said, I can't wait to watch that. The thing is, there's really been nothing to talk about, right? It's it's not one of those movies where. You know, there's breaking this and theories and blah, blah. And there's there's not topics to talk about. You know, on the John Campia show, we don't just go, you know what? Let's just talk about this for no reason. You know, um, there has to be something that's happening to elicit making it a topic. And then somebody has to write in about it. But with a movie like uh, Respect, there's. There's nothing to talk about until after the movie comes out. But yes, I am actually very much looking forward to that movie. All right, next up. Uh, BK Dan writes, John, on this date in entertainment history, um, August 10th, that would have been yesterday, uh, 1984, the first PG-13 movie released in, in Red Dawn. I didn't realize that was the first. You know what? I take that back. I think I did know that. Anyway, Red Dawn with Patrick Swayze. Wolverines! Anyway, for those that want to re relive this classic, it's on Prime Video. Man, I remember when I was a kid. I was a little kid. I remember as a little kid watching, uh, watching Red Dawn. And the whole, now they remade it recently. Then they changed a few things. I, I'll be honest with you right now. I can't even remember if I saw the remake or not. I want to say that I did, but I can, honestly, I can't remember. Anyway, um, I loved, loved that Red Dawn movie originally. I absolutely loved it. But I think I did know, but I certainly didn't recall uh, that that was the first PG-13 movie. You know what? If you had asked me, John, what year do you think they implemented PG-13? I probably would have said late 80s or early 90s. I didn't realize it was that early. Anyway, thanks for sending that in, BK. Very interesting. All right, next up. Mitch Adams writes, with every movie released in the last two months flopping at the box office, uh, should streaming and social media numbers be how a success or failure is decided for now, as all cinematic releases in 2021 will probably lose money due to the pandemic? No, that's not true at all. Fast 9 has done very well for itself. Uh, uh, Quiet Place 2 did very well for itself. 
Um, trying to think of what else. I mean, obviously there was uh, Suicide Squad did not do so great. Mortal Kombat. I mean, the reality is, you know, Mortal Kombat, Snake Eyes, I think these were movies that were going to fail anyway. And Mortal Kombat didn't do terribly, by the way. Snake Eyes did terribly because it's terrible. And I, and again, me and Rob, we talked on this show about how I think a part of that is the fact that we all, including me, I think we all overestimated how popular the G.I. Joe IP is. I don't think it's nearly as popular as it used to be. I don't think there are people out there, like, as much as they pretty much run the Transformers into the ground, there's still a hunger out there for Transformer stuff. I don't think there's a hunger for G.I. Joe stuff, to be honest with you. And it didn't help that they made an absolutely terrible movie. And I hate saying that because you guys know if you watch my show how excited I was for uh, for Snake Eyes. I was absolutely excited for that. Henry Golding, to me, is a bona fide movie star. Uh, Andrew Koji is turning into one of my favorite guys in the business right now. But they just simply made, the filmmakers just simply made a terrible movie. Terrible, terrible movie. And really, that has more to do with anything else. Now, the pandemic is also clearly a thing, but social media chatter means nothing. Streaming numbers mean nothing. None of these generate revenue. It's can you get people to the theaters? Now, you have to adjust your expectations a bit given the pandemic situation we're in, but, you know, certain movies have, have succeeded, right? There, certain movies have had success and certain hasn't. And so I don't know that we can just throw out a big excuse as to why something flops when it should have done better. So anyway, that's just kind of my take on it. I may be right. I may be wrong. I, but that's just kind of my instant take on it. Thanks for asking that, Mitch. Next up, GQ writes, Hey, Gio, I heard you mention Joe Coy the other day, who I am not familiar with. So I went on Netflix and watched two of his stand-ups. Oh, my God. I don't think I've ever laughed so hard in any stand-up in my life. I agree. He is the best now. I'm telling you what, guys. Joe Coy, I had heard of Joe Coy, but it was really my wife that turned me more onto him. Obviously, because he's Filipino, right? So again, let's see. Like uh, this, I got Ann and I just went to go see Joe Coy live. Got an autographed Joe Coy pop. This guy is flipping hilarious, and especially he he did this one special. Did you see the one he did in Hawaii? Oh my God! I think that's his latest one. I'm not sure, but the one he did in Hawaii. In this big, huge, sold-out stadium. But this guy is absolutely ripping hilarious. And it's so funny, too, because all the Filipino jokes he tells, like, I just, you know, I am I am married into a Filipino family. It's like, oh, my God, I recognize everything he's talking about. But uh, the guy is great. If you guys have not checked out Joe Coy, J-O-K-O-Y, if you guys have not checked out Joe Coy, you absolutely must. I, he is my favorite comedian now. And uh, Ann and I just went to go see him perform in Palm Strings this past weekend. He's great. He's absolutely great. All right. I'm glad you checked that out, GQ. All right. Next up, Brad C. writes, just wondering if you're going to watch the Hulu show, show called Only Murders in the Building. That's the, the uh, Martin Short, Steve Martin thing uh, with Martin Short and Steve Martin. Also, just finished watching Warrior after your, your recommendation, and I loved it. Really liked how they dealt with the different languages. I, you guys, I don't need to go into again how much I love Warrior, right? You guys have heard me talk enough about how much I love Warrior. This show is awesome. Cannot wait for the next season to start. Um, Only Murders in the Building. Uh, I forgot the name of it, to be honest with you, but the, that Martin Short, Steve Martin, absolutely. Absolutely. Two of the three amigos, Martin Short, not just a good Canadian kid, but from my hometown. 
uh, and Steve Martin, one of the all-time greats. Oh, yeah. I don't know if the show's going to be any good, but with those two, I'm going to just kind of guess it will, and I'm absolutely going to check that one out, Brad. All right, next up, we got an anonymous viewer who writes, I'm sorry, John, I disagree with you over the streaming will end quality movies take. I get where you're coming from, but producers slash distributors aren't responsible for good films. Uh, you want to bet? <laughs> you want to put money on that? Uh, filmmakers are. Guess what? Producers are filmmakers. There's a reason why at the Academy Awards, the producers are the ones given the best film Academy Award, right? Anyway, filmmakers are, and not, they're not going to phone it in just because studios don't care. See, here's the thing. Here's the problem, Anonymous. This whole thing about streaming will end quality movies take, this isn't some 10 years in the future prediction. It's already happening. It, it, it's already happening. You can say, John, I, I disagree with you that, uh, uh, I don't know, what's a, what's, what's a good example I can pull? Okay, let's say this. John, I disagree with you that the Milwaukee Bucks are going to win the NBA title. Okay, you can disagree with me, but it's not a theory. It's already, it's happened. It's, it's already happened. They just won. To say that you disagree that streaming will lessen the quality of movies, it's already happening. Netflix has shown what the model will be. And you know, when when big name guys like Jason Blum, the head of Blumhouse, has cranked out so many movies lately, and when other big ticket Hollywood producers are talking to Deadline and they say, we don't even have to worry about how good we make our movies anymore because we don't have to make them great. We just got to make them good enough. And you look at Netflix. For every one old guard, which was great, for every one The Irishman, which was great, they put out 20 or 30 pieces of crap junk because they know it doesn't matter they're not making box office money on them they just need to crank out mediocre shit to keep you subscribed that's all they got to do and then all they have to do is like once or twice a year put out a good one like out of the 50 60 or 70 they put out a year they just need to put out one or two really good ones that they can pump and promote to say see everybody you should come and subscribe to netflix and that's the model you can say you disagree with me all you want. It's already happening. You can say, I disagree. COVID will put people in the hospital. Disagree all you want. It's already happening. It's already happening. That's the part that kills me. It's already right there in front of our faces. It's happening right now. And because with the box office, there is incentive for the studios and filmmakers and everything to make these films as great as they can be. When it doesn't matter, you're going to put less resources. You're going to put in less money. You're going to give tighter schedules. You're going to give shorter production windows. You're going to give smaller crews. You're going to say, no, you can't use that best visual effects company. Use the fourth best visual effects company. You're going to hear that's and all these things. Oh, it's the directors who make the movies. That's great. What tools are you putting in the director's hands? I don't care if it's fucking Steven Spielberg. 
You go to him and say, make war and peace. Oh, and you've got three weeks to do it and uh, $1 million. Go. I don't care if it's Steven Spielberg. He's only going to be able to do so much with those tools. And that's what those producers were talking about from the article in Deadline. They were talking about how the whole plan of the streaming services is to make every single film really a work for hire, set a minimum fees, and then as time goes on, push those fees down and make them smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And then once in a while, put out a marquee movie to give the impression that we are making great movies when the reality is almost all the movies you put out are total shite. So it's cool. Disagree. But it's already happening. I don't think it's going to rain today. Dude, look out the window. It's already raining. It's already raining. This isn't a Nostradamus prediction of the future. It's happening right now. Believe it or not, doesn't change that it's what's happening. You know what I mean? So anyway, that's just, that's just kind of my take on things. That's just my take on things. All right. Thanks a lot for writing that in, man. All right. Banana Apple writes, Hey, John, I'm a huge fan. Thank you so much. Keep up the work. Also, what's your favorite animation series? Mine would have to be Avatar The Last Airbender. Um, I think my favorite animation series, I liked Avatar The Last Airbender quite a bit. I I, I avoided that one for a long time. I finally, um, I was late to the party on it. I finally watched it last year. I think it was during the pandemic, in the early days of the pandemic. I finally said, you know what? I'm going to watch Avatar The Last Airbender. It doesn't look like it's for me, but I'll give it a shot. Really enjoyed it. I wasn't so big on Legend of Korra, to be honest with you. But I really did enjoy Avatar The Last Airbender. But to me, it's not in my top 10 favorite animations. If I had to say really what was my favorite, and we're talking series now, we're not talking about animated movies. If we're talking series, I would probably have to go with two. One, the original Transformers animation series. It, it was just more about where I was in my life. I was a kid. I, they, they captured my imagination. I love them badly. The other one I still, I rewatched a couple of years ago is Space Battleship Yamato or in North America as it was called Star Blazers. I still think that holds up. They, Japan, um, a film company in Japan even made a live action version of a couple of years ago with, with mixed results. I really want a big Hollywood studio to do a Space Battleship Yamato. Star Bla- call it Star Blazers for all I care. Call it Star Blazers, but... I want them to do that badly. So I'd say those are probably my favorite ones. Thanks for asking, Banana. All right, next up. Uh, Power is Power writes, LOL, I can't say I thought of it first, but one theory about the birds and Suicide Squad is that it represents the tweets, the one that got him in trouble, and the ones that tried to cancel him afterwards. You know, that's not a crazy theory, but the problem is if you look at what happens in the movie, it's not actually a metaphor that fits what happens in the movie. Like you can say birds are a representation of tweets. Okay. But now show how that metaphor plays out in the movie. Like what did that have to do with Savant hitting the bird with the ball or the bird basically getting revenge later on? Or enjoying and loving it only to have the birds get burned later. Because the birds, the tweets, were the ones that did the burning, 
not the ones that got burned. So I don't know. So you'd have to kind of figure out how does that metaphor apply? But I'll tell you what, it's it's a really good theory. If James Gunn decided to use that as a little bit of catharsis to get that out and put it in there, it's not a bad theory at all, actually. All right. Thanks for sharing that power is power. Next up, uh, we've got some dude writes. Alfred Molina confirmed that No Way Home picks up right after Spider-Man 2 via the multiverse. Well, he didn't say via the multiverse, but he did say it picks right up after Spider-Man 2. If Toby and Andy aren't in the movie, but their villains are, wouldn't that be a massive missed opportunity if they're crossing the Spider-Universes anyway? No. Listen, the bottom line is you and I don't know what the story is. Um, You and I don't know what the story is. Listen. Spider-Man Homecoming and Spider-Man Far From Home were great. And guess what? Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire weren't in them. They didn't need them. They don't have to be there to make a great Spider-Man movie. This new Spider-Man movie does not need to have Andrew Garfield or Tobey Maguire. Now, look, I still think, I think they will be in it. But there is no evidence that they will be. There's absolutely no real credible evidence that they, they're they going to be in it. I still believe they will be, but I'm saying that completely acknowledging there's absolutely no credible evidence. So none of us should count on them being in it. So they might be in it. I think they will be, but there's no reason for us to count on it. That being said, um, no, it's not missed opportunity at all. It, it, look, characters are not there to be served by the story. The characters are there to serve the story. And depending on what the story of Far From Home is, bringing in an Alfred Molina and bringing in a Jamie Foxx may serve the story very well, but that doesn't mean having Andrew Garfield or Tobey Maguire would serve it one lick, other than to be a pointless distraction for a quick, cheap novelty. Or maybe the story completely calls for them, and they're vital and integral to the story in the movie and all that kind of stuff. But the reality is, I mean, who knows? But no, it's not having them in there. I don't consider in any way. And I say this as somebody who believes they will be. If they're not, I don't believe in any way it's a missed opportunity. Not at all. Not at all. Cheap gimmicky stuff is not a missed opportunity. If the story calls for it, great. If it doesn't, you don't do it because it would harm the movie. So we'll see. We'll see how it sort of plays out. We'll see how it goes. I think I think we're going to get a trailer for Spider-Man. Um, I think we're going to get a trailer for Spider-Man at CinemaCon. CinemaCon goes from August 23rd to August 26th. I can't remember which day. Sony is doing a two-hour presentation at it, and I believe at that two-hour presentation, and I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there in Vegas at CinemaCon. I believe, I don't have any insider information that, cons- that has confirmed this, but I believe they're going to drop a Spider-Man trailer there, and it'll go public that day. So, we might get some answers then, man. We might get some answers then. All right, next up. We got Nicholas Pierre who writes, I have already spoken about it, but the results of the Suicide Squad confirmed what I thought. Warner Brothers is convinced that fans and the general audience love Harley and this team. But the truth is, most people don't give a damn about them. Uh, that's not actually necessarily true. Anyway, uh, the worst part about it is that they're safe from learning from their mistakes. They insist on marketing concepts that they deem more important than their key characters when the audience is mainly waiting to get to know entertaining characters. Uh, some examples, they wanted the suicide squad to fight soups. Well, no, that was James Gunn that thought of that. It wasn't Warner brothers that wanted that. Uh, they wanted suicide squad to fight soups. 
Why want to give this team an unjustified importance? And why do they want Supes to face anyone except his own rogue effing gallery? Uh, lots of artists would kill to creatively adapt his enemies. Well, Nicholas, you're making the mistake of thinking anybody in the general movie-going audience gives a flying fuck about Superman's uh, rogues gallery. The hardcore people who watch my show and stuff like that, but we represent less than 5%. The rest of the audience really doesn't give a shit. Anyway, uh, why make a Flashpoint movie when most people hated Ezra Miller's Flash? That's that's completely factually untrue. That's not That's not a true statement at all. You can say that, and I'm sure you didn't like him, and I'm sure people in your circle didn't like him, but a lot of people liked Ezra Miller's Flash. Anyway, without even knowing much about him, and why take the risk of getting Batman into all of this when they are preparing an anticipated reboot of the same time? Uh, Wonder Woman in the 80s uh, with a bewitched sex slave, Zachary Levi sipping soda like a 10-year-old kid. But they, that Shazam movie was awesome. Anyway, King Shark versus a giant starfish. A stubborn refusal to offer a traditional Superman like uh, Hoechlin's. Uh, hope Black Adam won't be just marketing around Dwayne's muscles. I am appalled by their approach to the DCU, which has only failed since 2013. Really? A billion-dollar Aquaman film, a billion-dollar Joker film, and Academy Award nominations and Academy Award wins? I don't know, man. I... I, I, I don't know what you're looking at. Anyway, uh, with the exception of the first Wonder Woman and Aquaman, which had disassociated themselves from their crappy, hotly divisive ideas, it's still one. It's still their ideas. It's still their movies. I love, I love how some people try to pretend like one studio movie is the studios, but the studio movie that they do like wasn't the studios. It's, it's all them. It's all Warner Brothers. Anyway, Marvel is stronger than them. Because they get that the audience comes above all for endearing characters. That's not true at all. That, and I'll tell you what right now. Because no one gave a shit about Iron Man before the first Iron Man movie. I remember on the, my, my website, the movie blog, we even talked about who gives a shit about that. Why are they making an Iron Man movie? He's a poor man's Batman. Oh, look. A rich guy with no superpowers who uses his money to build gadgets that allows him to fight crime. Gee, where have I heard that before? Uh, Tony Stark at that point was a C-list superhero. I mean, for, for the I'm not saying the hardcore comic fans, but I'm saying amongst the general eyes, nobody gave a shit about Iron Man. No one gave a shit about Iron Man. You think anybody in the average movie going on gave a shit about Thor? None of them gave a shit about Thor. And I thought because I was so wrong about this, but I thought who gives a shit about this Iron Man? No one cares. No one cares. This movie's going to be a disaster because no one cares about Iron Man. <gasps> then they drop the first trailer comic on. It's like, okay, well maybe this will kind of work. The key is you make great movies. You make great movies. Who you got in them is not, is secondary. It's secondary. Anyway, uh, comes above all for endearing characters. We don't care about your marketing concepts. Actually, <laughs> marketing concepts very does much sell movies. Uh, trust your main DC characters. We no longer want to feel lost or betrayed when leaving your films. Oh, and I'm waiting to see the results of The Flash and Aquaman 2 because if they also fail, then the no reboot strategy was wrong. I, I mean, there's so much to dissect. There's so much in here, Nicholas, that I disagree with. So much I disagree with. The Shazam movie was a triumph, in my opinion. That movie was delightful and wonderful and fantastic. And a lot, far more people liked it than didn't like it. I mean, I have to double check here. 
but let me let me double check here. Uh, Shazam, uh, Rotten Tomatoes. I just want to check out the audience score of Shazam. So I mean, ninety percent critic rating, eighty-two percent with over ten thousand verified audience viewers. Over ten thousand rated it. Ninety percent critic rating, ninety-two percent audience rating. It's, it's, it's wonderful. That doesn't mean you have to like it. That doesn't mean you have to like it. And it doesn't mean you're wrong if you didn't. But what I'm saying you are wrong about is a perception that most people didn't like. People loved Shazam. I loved Shazam. And a lot of people did too. Anyway, uh, King Shark versus Giant Starfish was what a lot of people were asking for. Go crazy. Go bonkers. Go comic book. Go comic book. You know, and you can say, well, who would you say put in there? Hawkman? Who gives a shit about Hawkman? A lot of people in the in the core, in the core demographic, but we represent like three, four, five percent at most. The average movie going out there, movie like my mom, I tell you right there, my mom likes walking watching all the comic book movies. My mom doesn't give two shits about Hawkman. Doesn't give two shits about Hawkman. And yeah, so I, I disagree. I got to say, man, I disagree. Now, I'm not saying you're, there's a few things in here you are factually wrong about, but a bunch of your opinion stuff is your opinion, and I just happen to have a different opinion, and, and it's all good. It's all fair. But I really do disagree with you. They, I mean, yeah, look, they just made a, um, they made a fucking fantastic Suicide Squad movie. There's, there's no other way to put it. It is fucking fantastic. This movie's incredible. And if I want to go up and do a quick search here for Suicide Squad, see if we get a... They'll probably give me the old one. Yeah, there's the old one. Where's the new one? Here it is. Look, I mean, look where we're sitting at. 91% critic rating. 84% audience score. 84% verified ratings. That means people who they prove they actually saw the movie. Over a thousand of them. 84% critic score. Sorry, 91% critic score. 84% audience score. It's fantastic. And yes, it faced a big uphill battle. I said this before the movie ever came out. It faced a very large uphill battle. But the key, here's the key. The key is... DC needs to establish a reputation as a studio that we make quality, entertaining films. And they've crushed with that sometimes. You know, they crushed it with Aquaman. They crushed it with, uh, obviously, Joker. They crushed it with Shazam. They crushed it with this Suicide Squad. They've also had some misses, like Wonder Woman 84. Well, it was a miss. It was. I'm a big fan of the first Wonder Woman. I'm a big fan of director Patty Jenkins. But, you know, I, I didn't like the second one. I didn't think it was terrible, but it wasn't good. And uh, uh, Birds of Prey. I didn't think Birds of Prey was good. I know a lot of people did think Birds of Prey. I acknowledge that. A lot of people like Birds of Prey. Great. I myself did not like it. But to just out of hand throw it away, see what DC needs to do. It's because you look at Marvel in the early days. They just made movies that were really good. 
They made that first Iron Man movie. They made Captain America, the first Avenger. They made Kenneth Branagh's great third most underrated, second most underrated comic book film of all time in Kenneth Branagh's Thor. And they just built a reputation that when you come to see one of our movies, you're in for a good time. You're in for a good time. And they made sure, because the general movie going on doesn't care about the corporate label on it. That's why in their marketing campaigns, it's from the makers of Iron Man, from the makers of Captain America, from the makers of Thor. Like, because the average going on, he doesn't really care. And that's why they constantly put it here. Remember, this is the same company that's making these ones. So they put that heavily in their marketing campaign. And they just built a reputation. No one gave a shit that the movies were connected. Nobody gave a shit about any of that. They made good movies. And I am telling you right now, whether they make box office hits or movies that struggle at the box office, if they continue to make movies that critics and audiences enjoy and love long term, they're going to be fine. Now, this always goes on on a film by film basis, because look, if. Um, Matt Reeves is the Batman comes out and sucks. And then, uh, Dwayne Johnson's black Adam sucks. I mean, yeah, then you're going to start to get a little bit worried, but if Matt Reeves Batman turns out to be as good as it's looking. And if Dwayne Johnson's black Adam movie, they've been working on for like 10 years works. Well, you're talking about a very prolonged win streak. And that, at the end of the day, is what... It's not about, go go use only the characters that the hardcore comic book fans know and love. Well, there's nothing wrong with that, but that's not the, the key to success. Hell, Fox made Fantastic Four movies. You think making... Just because you had one of the greatest comic book villains of all time and Doctor Doom and the most celebrated first family of comics and... Did that make the movies successful or good? No. The key is, even though Suicide Squad is a flop financially, I think Robert Meyer Burnett is right. This is a movie I think people are going to be talking about still 10 years from now. I I really do. I agree with that. When he said that, I fully agree with him on that. The key is making good movies. Because if you make good movies now and you keep building a foundation of making good movies, that will pay off long term. It will absolutely pay off long term. Marvel's key to success was not that it's interconnected. It's that they built on good movie after good movie after good movie after good movie. And then more and more people got on board with it. And then they start crossing them over more. And it just created this proliferation that led to huge success. Whereas DC, as much, you know me, one of my all-time favorite comic book movies is Man of Steel. I still think it's the best DCU movie ever made. I think it's the most underrated comic book movie ever made. Zack Snyder's Man of Steel. But the reality is half the audience hated it and half the critics hated it. And then the Batman versus Superman. A lot of the critics hated it. A lot of the audiences hated it. And so they just built a very shaky foundation. And Suicide Squad, which is a big financial hit, but what good's a financial hit if you ruin your future movies? So, yeah, I mean, look, I think you wrote in a lot of really heavy stuff in there to unpack. And I and I get where you're coming from. And I appreciate where you're coming from. 
But I think underneath all that veneer, what you're looking for, I don't think is what's going to be the key to success for, because it doesn't matter what they do. If you don't make the movies good, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But making good movies, making good movies is like buying Bitcoin when it was still really cheap. You're not getting anything out of it. Ooh, about this stupid stuff called Bitcoin. For my, don't laugh. One of my best friends who I've had on my videos once or twice before literally bought Bitcoin when it was $7. What is it now? Like 38000 Anyway, my buddy bought some Bitcoin when it was $7. It's like that. Ah, oh, no financial thing there. $7 stupid cryptocurrency. I'm telling you, making good movies now is like buying Bitcoin when it was $7 per Bitcoin, it pays off down the road. You build reputation. You build a pattern of quality that the audience starts to recognize. I think it's key. I think it's key. But that's just me, Nicholas. Anyway, dude, listen. Um, whether we agree or disagree on that, I think you bring up some fabulous points of conversation in there and you went all out of your way to really flesh out what you're saying really well. And even though we disagree fundamentally, I think what you wrote out here was great because it's a lot of good thought provoking stuff, a lot of good thing to base a conversation on. I think you did a great job writing all that in. So well done on you, sir, even if we disagree because we're, it's cool. We're supposed to disagree at times, right? The key is do you fundamentally express what it is you're trying to say well? And I think you did a very good job of that. So thanks for that, Nicholas. Appreciate it, man. You make the show better. Thank you, dude. All right, next up. Uh, Willow writes, do it, John. Get the book read So Smart Me Tattoo. Shia LaBeouf boys, do it, do it. So what Willow is talking about is I put up on Twitter because I, I love King Shark in Suicide Squad and I love that line. I have repeatedly just loaded up HBO max and just fast forward through the beginning of suicide squad, just so I can watch over and over again. That one moment when we first meet King shark and he says, book read so smart me. And so what I did was I got on Twitter and I put up a tweet that says, look, I'm not a tattoo guy at all. I'm not cool enough to pull off tattoos. Other people can, I can't, but man, I'm tempted to get like right up here. Book read, so smart me. I'm so tempted to get that tattooed on me. I'm not even kidding. Totally tempted to do that. All right, next up. Your tribal chief writes, I don't know if there'll be another suicide squad. I hope so. But if there is, I'll bet $100 that Deadshot will return. Seriously, bro, doing Will Smith sequels without him is such, is, is such a dumbest idea to begin with. It's like making a John Wick sequel without Keanu Reeves. Yeah, I, I, again, we were talking about that as one of the reasons. Now, look, I'm not saying there's a direct correlation. I'm not. There's simply not enough evidence there. But... With the very few samples we have, that's not enough to build an actual verifiable theory on. But it's still interesting. Making sequels to hit Will Smith films without Will Smith in them has not gone well so far. You want to make another Independence Day? Great. Oh, you're going to do without Will Smith? And look what happened. Oh, you want to make another Black Men in Black movie? You're going to do without Will Smith? Look what happened. Oh, you're going to make another... Look, say you want about the first Suicide Squad. I mean, this one is better, but they made a lot of money. I mean, Big Willie puts butts in the seats. 
And they made another Suicide Squad movie that is vastly superior, but it didn't have Big Willie in it. And look, look what happened. Again, three is not a sample size to create a concrete evidence and, and a theory to build on. But it is interesting. Out of the very few examples we have, they all seem to go badly, right? They all seem to go badly. All right. Next up, and this is the last one we have time for today. This one comes to us from Scott Brown. And Scott Brown writes, With COVID spiking again, can studios really afford to go into limbo again uh, with their releases? There's so much that goes into a movie release from merchandising and advertising. Also, the logjam of movies it would create in an already crowded marketplace. Well, yeah. So look, look, first off, Scott, let me say this. I do not think we're going to see the studios start pushing their films again. I did think that before. Just a couple of weeks ago, I kind of thought they would, but the more I've been hearing, yeah, now it doesn't seem like the studios are interested in delaying their releases anymore. But you do have to do a risk analysis. Like, okay, if we delay again, maybe we're going to lose X amount of dollars. But if we lose more money than that by not delaying, then you have to consider delaying even though you lose a lot of money. Because you always choose losing the less amount of money over losing the bigger amount of money, right? So there's that. But I, I honestly think they're in a situation now where, look, uh, Fast 9 was not because of how I liked Fast 8 personally, but a lot of people didn't like Fast 8. And it's a little bit on a downward trajectory. Um, you know, Fast 9 wasn't going to make $1.5 billion, right? It was probably going to make, 1 billion, 1.1 billion dollars. Well, it's probably when it's all said and done going to make around 700 million. So it's making less than it would have, for sure, but it's still making money. And that's why I think they're going to just keep plowing ahead. They're just going to keep plowing ahead, I think. I didn't think that a couple of weeks ago and my mind could be changed again later on as new evidence and new information comes out, but for now I'm thinking it looks like they're not going to do that. All right, guys, listen. Still more to come. We got uh, Andres Moran and uh, Joey uh, Joey and others. We are going to pick up tomorrow on the John Campia show with me, Aaron Cummings, and uh, Kimberly Curran. We're going to pick up with uh, Andres Moran right where we're leaving off right now. So hopefully you guys will come on back tomorrow and join us for that. But for now, that'll do it. For this installment of the companion videos, guys, special thank you to all of you who sent in these comments and questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel as you did it. And all of us involved here with the John Campia Show, thank you guys so very much for your support. Okay, guys, that'll do it for me. Remember to do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.